You are listening to the Power of Why podcast. It was through there that I made my first aggressive investments when the when the markets were way down and I was able to make enough money that combined with like my severance pay from getting laid off, I was able to buy my first property. And then, you know, after continuing to work in the professional world after that, I realized that it's really important for all of us, especially those of us who have less of a safety net to really take control of not just our finances on a day-to-day basis, but also our wealth and to accumulate and acquire as much wealth as possible, as quickly as possible, because the safety nets that others might experience, I knew they weren't there for me. And that if anything happened to me, like another great recession where they were laying off people left, right and center, that I would be on my own. And I realized that I never wanted to depend on a job for my wealth and my well-being, like ever. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Power of Why podcast. Thank you so much for being here. My name is Naomi Haile. And today I am joined by an amazing guest. Her name is Melissa Allen. Melissa, thank you so much for being here today. Oh, you're welcome. The pleasure's all mine and honor. (laughs) Uh, So for some context for the audience, Melissa is a financial advisor and impact investor. She is passionate about sharing everything she knows about personal finance, investing, building generational wealth, and creating a legacy that will positively impact our families and communities for decades to come. Melissa strongly believes that mindset, followed by action, is the key to monetary abundance. I think abundance in, in, in all its respect, and with the belief that real uh, positive societal change happens with our dollars. Melissa is determined to inspire people everywhere, especially those in overlooked and underestimated and at-risk communities to really vote with with their dollars. So Melissa, I'm very excited to chat with you today. And I think the timing is also very fascinating. You know, I think we would be having a completely different conversation if we went with our previously (laughs) uh, scheduled time of a couple, you know, six months ago. So thank you for being here. Oh, you're welcome. It's my pleasure. And it's so true. Like, there's a whole new context for financial empowerment and money and investing. So I can't wait to dive in with you. Tell us a little bit about your origin story and how you grew up. Yeah, no problem. So my name is Melissa. I born and raised in, in Toronto. Well, I was in Toronto, Scarborough until I was seven. And then my mom moved my brother and I to Brampton. And that's where I grew up. But Brampton is like a northwestern suburb of Toronto. Uh, it was a lot different mm-hmm. in the 80s and 90s than it is now. I went to the university for business administration, and then I got into the corporate world shortly after. And that's where I started to get interested in in money because not only was I like, um, you know, like quote unquote, like independent and living on my own, but you know, living in Toronto in the in the 2000 and aughts, this was like pre Great Recession. Like money, like we, were, everybody was spending so much money going out. I had my first taste of freedom. So I was shopping like crazy, dining out. And, and then, you know, and it's almost like the party, the first party ended with the Great Recession and I got laid <laughs> off from my job. And, you know, at, at least I'm bilingual. So I was able to find another professional job fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. It was through there that I made my first aggressive investments when the, when the markets were way down. 
and I was able to make enough money that combined with like my severance pay from getting laid off, I was able to buy my first property. And, and then, you know, after continuing to work in the professional world after that, I realized that it's really important for all of us, especially those of us who have less of a safety net to really take control of not just our finances on a day-to-day basis, but also our wealth Mm -hmm. and to accumulate and acquire as much wealth as possible, as quickly as possible, because the safety net that others might experience, I knew they weren't there for me. And that if anything happened to me, like another great recession where they were laying off people left, right and center, that I would be on my own. And I realized that I never wanted to depend on a job for my wealth and my well-being like ever and ever since then I've been slowly working towards that myself and now I've really gotten into spreading that message and then with everything that's happening with COVID I really jumped on the opportunity to really start speaking about it on my social media platforms because because of COVID and the shutdown that happened that's lasted for three plus months we've really seen how vulnerable we are individually and as a society Mm -hmm right, financially. And so I think it's a great time right now to to discuss like financial independence and how to get there. Because as we've seen, we're way more vulnerable to economics than we think. And for you, I think one of the first time, I think our first interaction actually was in Toronto. It was at an event where the discussions were around financial education. There are a few speakers there who were speaking about the subject. And we were probably like one of the very few black women who were in that room. So we instantly gravitated towards each other. <laughs> yes, we did. I'm trying to remember what event was that. I, like, I, I remembered and now I've forgotten again. I can't remember the name of it, but it was in this like really interesting cafe, you know, in the basement. Yes, uh, there were quite that. a few people that were there. And I remember you, you know, sharing a little bit about your career and, mm-hmm. you know, you were working at a bank at the time, financial institution. Yeah. And it was my understanding that your mother was also in the industry. That is correct. Yes. My mother. Yeah. So I was raised by a single mother and she started out in insurance as an insurance broker, insurance salesperson. And by the time I got to high school, she was doing also investments, like advising on investments. And so... She's been in the industry now. It's been over 30 years. And so when I got laid off of my last job, um, before the company shut down, um, she had said, why don't you come join this industry of financial services? And she's been on me since <laughs> I graduated university to to be, be, be in financial services and to work with her, or at least work in the same office. And I was resistant because at the time, I was I swore that working in marketing and one day becoming the vice president of marketing like or something like, or CMO was my goal. And so... I was super stubborn and like doubled down on just really pursuing advertising and marketing before I left the industry altogether to be Mm -hmm. in financial services. And I'll say now that it was a great decision, but transitioning from digital marketing to financial services in 2015, I'd say, it was not easy uh, because you go from working in a really dynamic, fast-paced culture where change happens quickly and you adapt and you have the technology to adapt, Mm -hmm. right? And then going from that to financial services where people are still, like, we're still using fax machines, right? And and all of the the regulation and the paperwork, it was, 
it was quite the learning curve and it took me a while to nail it down but I think mm-hmm. I have it I, ha- I have it under control now I know what I'm doing in terms of like regulation and process and using a fax machine right <laughs> so <laughs> yeah so so yeah so it's it thanks to my mother she brought me into the industry mm-hmm. that's amazing and I think those conversations that you were having in the house I'm really curious you mentioned at the beginning of this conversation that especially right now realizing how vulnerable we are and the amount of people who are currently un- unemployed or folks who who are unemployed and don't have emergency funds set aside to really um, get them through this time. What types of empowered financial conversations are really important to have with yourself, even before we're talking about wealth building, but just in terms of having a solid foundation? This is such a great question. I mean, there's there's so much I could say, like say, so I'll try to break it down as much as possible, keep my thoughts organized. The first thing is like, having conversations with with yourself the first one you definitely want to have is where do I want to be like like in one year three years five years ten years from now I know it's hard to plan super far in advance because the world is changing so much but even if you can just think about where you where you would like to be financially and from a wealth perspective in three years and you can make it as as big or as simple as you want and then look at where you are now and then understand the gap that exists from where, between where you are now and where you want to be and that's where now you're going to go seek out all those experts you need to help you get to from to where you want to go from where you are right now and oftentimes that requires having frank conversations about your relationship with money and spending and where your money stories and your spending habits originated from like what's driving them like have a really good honest conversation about that uh, because you know in our society spending spending like consumerism it's so rampant especially in the instagram era so really knowing yourself and what's driving how you're managing your money and seeing if there's any adjustments and enha- enhancements you can make to that to get you to where you want to go i would definitely start there mm-hmm. and there is a really interesting you talked about consumerism There's an interesting article that you shared uh, that's called, I don't feel like buying stuff anymore. And Helen is the reporter who wrote on this. She talks a lot about how we're trained to buy often, buy cheap, buy a lot and almost collect things. And she breaks down like the psychology behind why we've become like deeply intertwined with owning material stuff that doesn't contribute necessarily to our Mm -hmm. future. So uh, Mel, On your IG, you've been talking a lot about how you, for the past couple of years, have been intentional about not buying all of these (laughs) things that look good, but actually don't really provide value to your life. So can you talk a little bit about that? Oh my goodness. Absolutely. And you know, I'll start by saying like, so I had an Instagram story. I think it saved my highlights, but it's where I talk about, you know, I, I, I went through a period of my life in my, like my 20s, like basically as soon as I got a job up into my early 30s where I was spending a lot, spending a lot to look good, um, designer bags, this and that. And and at the same time, it's I wanted to know, I was so curious and I was interviewing people who were super successful, super wealthy in Toronto, and I was wanting to know their secrets or what they were doing. And really what I ended up learning is that the wealthiest people that you see are not the biggest spenders or the flashiest spenders. They have no reason to be because they have nothing to prove. Right. So they're Mm -hmm. often the most, I'd I'd say the most simply dressed, the most humble. 
they will argue over a bill. They'll they'll like if you're, if we're at a restaurant, they'll be the ones to complain about the fact that a drink is fifteen dollars and you know, and order water instead. And I realized that for the majority of people, spending it fulfills kind of I I feel like it, it fulfills like this void that we as a society have within ourselves. And I honestly I I wonder if that void is the same place where our desire to spend comes from that is like this like manufactured need to feel like we're not enough unless we have all these things. I think those are some really great points about consumerism and how the wealthy really spend their money. So can you talk a little bit about what assets are? Okay, an asset is, this is my own definition, an asset is something that has value or that can be exchanged for something else of value you know it could be like a house a piece of land it can also be like the money you have sitting in the bank it could have also be like a patent like a trademark or a patent anything that can be exchanged for value particularly monetary value yeah so instead of focusing on things that really depreciate in value oh for sure oh for sure if i i tell all of my clients and and people who who reach out to me looking for advice, I say, redirect your do- dollars from things, creams and, I don't know, 10-step beauty routines and, and throwaway fast fashion that you're buying like every week to just keep up with trends. Redirect that money towards assets that are going to grow in value over time and they'll be there for you when you're unable to work. Right now, while we're young and working and the money is flowing, it's really easy to just keep spending, spending, spending on things that aren't assets, so things that, that lose their value as soon as you purchase them, right? Like, again, like, you know, a piece of fast fashion clothing, shoes, you know, things like that. It's easy to continually spend our money on that, but we're not thinking of the long term when we're unable to work anymore for whatever reason, whether it be age or disability. So I say while we are young, redirect all of that money that you're using to make other corporations and other people wealthy that might not even respect you. Redirect that money away from them and towards buying and putting money towards assets that will be there to support you and your lifestyle in the future. You know, you initially talked about what drew you to the financial services industry. What were the reasons that you decided to stay and actually take the knowledge that you were learning in, you know, from courses and certifications and on the job training and all of these things to actually support your community and what made you stay? I love this question because it's it's very, very important to me and it, it hits me it's really close to home. And here's the thing is when I joined uh, financial services, my branch, the most successful people in the office aside from my mom who worked so hard and I see her work so hard to achieve the success she's had Mm -hmm. the other successful people in the branch like boomer age were all white men and there was this mentality that the ideal client was like a wealthy like white man or or at least like a professional white person and as you know, the years went on and in working in financial services, I started to see this misalignment between what's truly needed and what the financial service industry is actually providing to, to, to Canadians. So for example, so many women, even some men come to me uh, to be their advisor because they're not getting the service and the treatment that they deserve 
from mm-hmm. a lot of investment advisors and financial planners who will take one look at them and make all sorts of assumptions about them or make them feel uncomfortable, make them feel lesser than, make them feel unworthy, or just even judge them before knowing that actually they are a successful person with money to to invest. And I mean, this this goes for not just people of color and black people who are looking for financial guidance, but this goes for even white women as well. Like I recently talked to a wealthy young white woman, she comes from a wealthy family, and I was really dismayed by how she was neglected by her financial advisor that she was assigned and basically did not teach her anything about money or give her any sort of guidance. And I find that this is rampant throughout the industry. And because of this, the majority of the, the population, especially in highly, in, in highly diverse areas like Toronto, Montreal, um, Ottawa, Vancouver, right, they, they shy away from seeking financial advice and financial help because of past experiences they may have had. Absolutely. And I think a lot of, even if, when I think to my peers and people who are sort of in our age group, a lot of people are, are, are thinking, oh, this is too complicated. It's not for me. I'm not going to touch it right now. When in fact, this is such an incredible time to take a serious look at your, your budgets and what you're investing in and, and all of these factors. So what action steps would you provide to someone who let's say is just starting off in their career, they just finished school and have cash flow coming in and are looking at ways to start small, right? I think people think they need to have thousands of dollars to start and that's just not true. So what would you, what advice would you give them? Well, definitely. So if it's somebody fresh out of school, they, you know, they have their first job, I would say number one is to define your priorities right off the bat, because a lot of people like, you know, when you're young, you know, you live for tomorrow, you're not thinking too much about the future. Like, why would I think about 10, 15 years from now? I'm only 22. But time is on your side. Even if you just walk into the bank and put money and start putting money regularly into some kind of savings account, right? Like, or investment account, even if it's just a little bit, like, you know, like a couple hundred dollars a month or even $50 a month, get into the habit of putting money aside every month, like, and having it automatically come out of your account the same day you get paid. You will be shocked how fast your investments and your savings can grow when you do that, especially if over time, you see that, oh, I can handle, you know, $50 coming out of each of my paychecks or, you know, out of my bank during payday. So let me increase it to $100. And then once you're used to $100, increase it to $200, right? And keep going until you mm-hmm. are at a level, like in my personal opinion, where it's like a little bit uncomfortable, but you're aggressively saving. And like, and so at least, at least you're taking that first step to putting money aside, even if you don't know exactly what you want to do or where you want to be yet, right? Like some people are like, I don't even know if I want to buy a house yet. I mm-hmm. might want to travel. That's fine. But whatever you want to do, you, you will have now the capital to do that in the future. So you might as well take advantage of that. And especially when it comes to compound in, in, like interest, take advantage of that while you're young. And compounded interest is just like, you know, making interest off of your interest. So reinvesting the money that you made from your investments straight away and typically when you open up an investment it automatically does that but that will help accelerate your your investments the the growth of your investments and the sooner you start the better so that's what i would definitely say get in that habit right away 
I did and it helped me a ton. Not to say I didn't make a lot of mistakes along the way because I'm naturally like a spender, not a saver. But I know when I need to save for something, I know how to do it. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of tools out there that could also help you. But I think the most important that you mentioned was essentially setting up habits, setting aside a certain amount of money. And from there, you can just keep keep growing it. Right. So I think that's, that's incredible. Absolutely. And here's the thing, too, is like the sooner you can get some kind of guidance or, or professional mentorship, the better. And so maybe some some, you know, some people starting out. All they need is, you know, to see a financial planner you know, once or twice to set them up on a plan and they have the discipline to execute that plan. So they just need to go to a financial planner who, you know, like who charges by the hour or or who pays per financial plan that they create. And then there's some people who need the ongoing support. And so they should seek a financial advisor who will kind of hold their hands through the process with them. I think both are totally fine, but like, but I think that it's worth it to look around your network, ask around, get a referral for an advisor or a financial planner and and book an appointment because having that bit of education in the beginning, that edge, that will pay off in dividends, literally. <laughs> like in, in That will pay off in the future. Right. So, and don't be intimidated. There's so many of us out there on social media mm-hmm. and, and through the network that you can ask about. And also there's a lot of great resources out there for for young people starting out. It's just a matter of looking. Right, exactly. If you'd be willing to share and to show how just starting as early as you can can really compound into, you know, property and other wealth building, you know, activities. What were some of the things that you can speak to that you were able to maybe accomplish uh, along your journey? Oh, for sure. So what happened was like I was saving regularly you know in my 20s I had a couple of incidents of like racking up credit card debt and then having to pay it off but mm-hmm. then I was, I was saving regularly and then on top of that too I think in 2009 I think it was when I got laid off I got a bit of a severance and then, and then on top of that too because the the market cra- crash I guess happened for the great recession I put a bunch of money in the stock market and then a year later everything was back up again it recovered a lot slower than I did this time around, but I recovered. And so I was able to make some money. And so my savings combined with the investments I made in the market, combined with my severance, I was able to buy a duplex with my mother when I was like in my like 20s, which was awesome. One key with me is, is like really strategically choosing the location of your first property. Ideally, it would be in an area that's growing, that's developing. So you know for sure that it's going to like grow in value over time. So take a look at the area and see if right. even like the local municipality or the government is inve- investing in infrastructure in that area or if real estate developers are in- investing in the area. Because if they're pu- if the government or organizations are putting money into that area, that means it's going to be the next hot thing. And that's what happened. Um, the area we bought was near a big plaza that was being built, a really gorgeous one. And I remember before we made an offer on the place, I saw uh, I saw a sign maybe a, a few blocks south that said coming soon um, stockyards plaza, and so once I saw that and I already mm-hmm. saw that they built a Starbucks across the street, I was like, okay, we need to definitely get <laughs> yep, <laughs> we need to definitely get into this area. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and then and it, it it's crazy. Yeah, and, and it was a great it was a great property. We still have it, and but I do remember. 
and this is where like stuff gets real for for everybody who's listening right now if you want to build wealth like that was great that was the first property awesome i ended eventually ended up moving in with, with my uh, mother in that house so that i could renovate the basement so we could rent it out but i remember thinking you know what i need another place that's like that's like 100 percent my own <laughs> Like, and if like, you know, as a parent and as, or as a child, you understand what I'm saying, right? You want to have your space a bit. I was getting to be in my thirties soon. And so the thing is, is that to, to get to that next level, I needed more income and my marketing job at the time was not going to cut it. So I got a side hustle quite frankly. And, you know, maybe if I was like an investment banker or something like mm-hmm. that, I wouldn't need to get one, but you know, working in marketing and the fact that I wanted to buy a house in less than two years, like I want to have enough savings in less than two years to get a house. I was like, you know what? I need another source of income that's going to pay me a decent amount of money. And so I ended up for the next two years side hustling my butt off. I worked at a bar and restaurant uh, like three nights a week. And then maybe once or twice during the during the weekend, during the day, I um, handed out samples right as a promo person. And I worked so much, but because I was like, you know, with real estate prices rising so fast, I knew that time wasn't on my side in that respect. I knew I needed to get into the market and I knew exactly what area I wanted to get into. So I literally sacrificed like my life basically for a year and a half, two and a half years and got together a decent down payment to buy the house that I, the second, my second property that I'm in right now, mm-hmm. like in Toronto on the subway. And it was, it was, an, it was again same theme right is to look in an area where government and private corporations are investing millions of dollars in infrastructure so where i bought it's already near um, a subway station but they're building another subway line just like um right off of my street like an entire subway line eglinton the eglinton lrt so i knew and like they hadn't broken ground yet when when i made the offer on the house but when i moved into the house that was around the same time that they actually started to tunnel, to dig. And there's a lot of construction right now, I'm not gonna lie, it's not the, not the easiest, but already I can see the fact that like the, the property value of my house has gone up so much and I get, I get offers from um, real estate investors all the time to buy my house cash. Wow. <laughs> so the process of buying real estate as a single young woman, it's like single young woman of color, it's not the easiest managing property is not the easiest so I wanted to take a little break from that but I didn't know what my next move would be and so I kind of started doing my research and by this time now I'm working in financial services and I knew that like I wanted to take a break from real estate but I wanted to invest in something that had an opportunity to scale a lot because all along this these times I'm also just doing regular investments in my portfolio because I really think it's important to build like a foundation portfolio in your RSP and TFSA, right? But then with any extra money that you have left over, because I'm still side hustling, to to throw that towards a more aggressive investment. And so that's when I started looking at educating myself about angel investing in venture capital and an event. And then last year I made my first investment into a venture capital fund, which was a, a vision I had for myself that I was hoping to be able to achieve in 10 years. And I achieved it in like less than a year, which is insane. That is insane. Yes. Please talk to us about impact investing and how this ties into your passion for building generational wealth. Oh, for sure. And you know, I've talked about this so much. I've talked about this with anyone who will listen on Zoom calls. <laughs> and it, and, and it's, 
impact investing, I mean, my definition of it, of course, it, it changes, but it's basically just making money while investing in projects that make the world we live in a better place, right? And so you're investing in companies and technologies that are doing big things and that are also having a huge positive impact in the world. Right. And, and here's the thing is that what got me into venture capital in the first place was before I worked in as a in financial services, I said before I worked in marketing for, you know, a lot of technology companies. And so I love that whole like startup world, that tech scene. I was always going to networking events and meetups. And then when I got into financial services, I really missed it. And I was like, I was asking myself, how can I combine my love of investing in financial services with technology? And around that same time as I was asking that question, I was noticing like a lot of companies were a lot of the huge tech giants that were private were rumored to be prepping to go public. And and then a lot and then there was like this handful of men in Silicon Valley who stood to make like, you know, like a hundred million dollars off of it, become billionaires off of it. And it and it's these same men and, you know, I'm going to say the same mostly white men in Silicon Valley who are passing these deals to one another, passing right. these investment opportunities in, in really, really early stage companies that would eventually blow up and become like what we call like the unicorns, right? The billion dollar companies. And it, I started to get really frustrated with that because I was just like, because at first you kind of say to yourself, oh, maybe it's just because, um, you know, I don't have the talent to work in Silicon Valley, et cetera, et cetera. And then you realize that it's all BS and it's, and it's just another facet, I would say, of, of, I would say, institutional privilege, quite frankly, in the works. And I wouldn't say it's necessarily deliberate, the fact that Silicon Valley, it, it happens to be the same men passing these financial opportunities to one another. But I, re- I realized, especially reading a lot of books on venture capital and investing, that they're no more special than you or me. They're no more intelligent than you and I. I'm sorry. They're not. I'm not sorry, actually. And <laughs> so <laughs> and so I said, you know what? I want to crack this. I want to crack this industry. I want to find a way in. And and around that same time, too, is um, Arlen Hamilton mm-hmm. founded, like, she got, she founded Backstage Capital and got really big. And she's, like, an African-American, like, lesbian woman who was homeless while she was starting this VC firm. And... I remember saying, oh, I want to be the Erlen Hamilton of, of Canada. And, um, and so I, I honestly spent like a, like, a, like a year trying to research, trying to network, trying to see how I could again become an, an investor in this way. It was so hard. And then I remember I went to an event by Emily Milk from How She Hustles. I went to one of her events, Startup and Slay. And on the panel was this woman named Lauren, who, Lauren Robinson, I, like she's amazing. And they were talking about investing and investing in startups. And she's saying, oh, you don't necessarily need to be an accredited investor to become an angel investor. And she just was talking a lot about getting more women and women of color involved in venture capital and angel investing. And just so you know, an accredited investor is somebody who meets the financial qualifications of making higher risk um, investments in private companies. Yes. So I can get, you know, the qualifications It's typically something like, you know, you make like 190 K a year, 200 K a year or 300 K a year as a couple, or you have a million dollars in liquid assets, right? That's the credit investor. Um, just as an aside. Anyway. So after that panel, I ran up to Lauren and I was like, 
tell me more. I need to know everything. Uh, and so we got, we got into communication that way. And through her, I got linked up with a program called Female Funders, which um, and Female Funders is an organization uh, that's based in Vancouver. And its goal is to promote and to help women become angel investors and venture capitalists because there's obviously a huge disparity right, um, of women in that market, both as founders and as funders. And so Female Funders focuses on funding. And so they have this eight-month-long accelerator program that teaches women all the ins and outs of venture capital angel investing. And so I, I got accepted into that accelerator. And then towards the end, um, I got an opportunity to, yes, in, invest in this VC fund. And typically to invest in a venture capital fund, it's like, you know, a quarter of a million dollars, a million dollars minimum to invest in. But uh, Lauren, because it was um, a company where she's the general partner, she gave a bunch of us women the opportunity to invest at a much, 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 much lower amount. And, you know, I talked about this on a Zoom call I had, a Zoom presentation I had in April. But I remember Lauren, she emailed all of us with this opportunity and she told us, like, you know, she's telling us about how the fund they had before is performing, it's doing quite well. So here's an opportunity to invest in this one at a much lower rate, this new one. And she sent, she probably sent out the opportunity in March and I didn't respond until June. And it's, I described why on that Zoom call. And that's because even though I worked so hard to get that foot in the door, my mindset was actually not where I thought it was going to be. So when that opportunity came to me, I was like, I shouldn't take it. I'm not ready. I'm a fraud. Who do I think I am? Like, I, like you know, I'll fall flat on my face um, because, like, you know, I'll lose everything or, or I won't be able to get together the funds in time. And so I basically just ignored it. And then I went on this personal development retreat in June where we did this crazy mind-blowing mm -hmm. money exercise where it's just journaling about the money stories that you have from childhood. I had a major breakthrough, uh, you know, around my own, what was holding me back from, from getting to that next level. And as soon as I got back from that retreat, I emailed Lauren. I said, I'm in, right? And she's like, awesome. And I managed to, within mm -hmm. that six months that the fund was closing, I managed to like hustle and actually make that money <laughs> in order to invest in it. But, and this is, this, is, this is what I tell people though, when it comes to like wealth building, especially when it comes to aggressive wealth building and, and investing for, you know, for generational wealth is number one is to, to become the person you want to be, you know, you're going to have to step into the potential that you have. It requires you to become a different version of yourself. And that's what I had to do to really aggressively start, to really aggressively start investing and investing for impact. The, and another reason why it's so important for me, and, and I think it should be important for all of us, is that, listen, at the end of the day, investing in technology means that the CEO reports to you, which means that you have seats on boards, you're in, in advisory roles in tech startups that have the opportunity to change the world. And it sounds really exciting and noble, but it actually goes much deeper than that. And that is, is that when you look around at technologies that are being developed in AI, if a certain demographic of person is basically the only ones designing them, then that technology is only going to cater to and favor disproportionately that same demographic. This is why 
you know, there were issues with self-driving cars who could not recognize dark-skinned people or dark-skinned people at night. And this is why there was a huge controversy around Apple, Apple's credit card because they were declining women's applications at a much higher rate than men's who had the same qualifications. If technology is being led by, you know, one demographic, whether that's white males, et cetera, then inherently there are going to be biases built into that technology without even like these designers realizing it. And that's why I think it's so important. Investing in impact investing is, is super important to me and why I want to spread it to as many women and women of color and black women as possible and even just get everybody to understand the implications of it is that if you don't have a say at the technology mm -hmm. that's going to shape our world, especially because we're going to become so dependent on it, I mean, we are already, then that technology is not going to serve us at all. It's only going to serve a small demographic of the population. And we all know like how devastating discrimination, systematic and institutional like uh, discrimination is. And so can you imagine what would happen if it was ingrained in artificial intelligence and the technology that's coming down the pipeline in the future? It'd be horrible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and these are definitely conversations that are happening in product design and, and how do we build technology for everyone. And a big part of that is being in the room and it's creating Absolutely. this technology for, for all groups of people, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, you know, I, like it, it's, it's great and it's noble to, to ask nicely, Mr. White software developer to keep, to keep me in mind as a black woman when he's de designing his AI, but it's much more impactful and results driven to actually have somebody there with this skill set and the tools right. to, yeah. to, to, to design right beside him or to, or me, like I'm, I'm not a, the greatest programmer or to have me in the rooms at the board table saying, this is the direction that this product should take. It's much more impactful if we're actually in those conversations and in those rooms rather than like, you know, asking and trying to be inclusive. Let's just get in there ourselves. Yeah. And this is, there's so much that you said here, but for one, just voting with with your dollars. So finding ways, like I appreciate how creative you were in creating multiple streams of income so that you could make this financial goal and, and set aside a certain amount of money. That's amazing. Female funders looks very fascinating program. So I'll put it in the show notes for people who are interested in learning. Please do. <laughs> so it looks like there are two programs. One's called Future Capital and the other is Angel Academy. I'm glad that you had a really positive experience with this. The best experience, the, the women running it are complete bosses who are doing amazing things in, in this space and who are passionate about bringing not just w mm -hmm. women up, but pulling up uh, women of color as well. And you sort of grazed over this, but you talked about money stories. Mm -hmm. Can you share maybe one money story that you had that you had to overcome and, and you did so in Morocco? What was it? Oh, yes. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Okay, so. Big, my, like the biggest money story that I that I had to overcome, and I'm still working on it, but it's mostly resolved. But you know, like life is a work in progress, <laughs> and that is that you have to struggle and work hard and toil to earn money to become wealthy. Like you have to just work hard, like to to the bone. That cause, because that's what I saw around me growing up, and and so I had it in my head that. I had to suffer and work hard and sacrifice to create and obtain abundance. 
and and again there was some but then but then when I like look around and I see other people how it's just coming to them naturally I'm like I need to dive deeper into this and so again actually and it's funny that you see that like on this on this retreat it's a it's a it's another place I got to explore within myself is where where that come from. And I do know where it comes from. I grew up in that environment. And it's kind of in, in our culture as well. Like you have to toil and you have to sacrifice and work hard, twice as hard for half as much, right? You get that. Yeah. And I, I really had to let go of that money story. And in order to do that, I had to truly believe in my heart that I deserve to have money flow to me and have abundance flow to me because I'm doing what I love mm-hmm. and I'm taking the necessary steps to make it happen. So it will just happen. And I need to trust the universe. I need to trust myself. And so that's something that I have been exercising, especially throughout COVID. And let me tell you, it's been a huge breakthrough. Cause remember I told you like 10 years ago, how I worked three jobs to be able to buy the house I'm in now. It's like, I will never, like, I will never do that again. Uh, <laughs> and you know, and I am making more in COVID now than I have at any other point in my life, you know, and I, and I am 1000% convinced that it's because I uncovered this money story I had about myself that I had to work around the clock and toil and be stressed out, let that go. And I had to just trusted my skills and my talents and, and, you know, and putting in the work and that the, the, the abundance will flow to me. And that has absolutely happened. It's amazing when you're able to identify what it is and rewrite it completely and sort of embody <laughs> this new belief. And it's showing. Like, it's been really awesome to see your growth and your strength throughout this period. So for you, you know, at this stage of your life, what does the prospect of retirement look like? And I know you don't see retirement in the traditional way that most people see it. So can you talk a little bit about it? <laughs> <laughs> you know it, you know it. Well, oh, first of all, like I believe we should all be working towards the ability to retire as soon as possible. So here's the thing. Society is now telling us that because of the way things are right now, the job market, the cost of living, that people should expect to work until they're 70, no longer 65. 65 used to be the new retirement age. Now people are trying to trying to really drill it into society that you should be working until you're 70. I 100% don't believe that. And in fact, me personally, like I plan on working forever, but I plan on being completely financially independent by the time I'm 50 or even before right so i'm giving myself a good like a decade decade and a half and that is again from redirecting your money from ridiculous like useless material things into buying assets like property like mutual funds thing in businesses and so i really think it's absolutely possible to retire in in half or just like even a fraction of the time that society dictates that we retire by being very intentional about where our dollars go. Like, are they going to go towards making us richer and more financially free? Or are they going to go towards making somebody else richer and financially free? And I think that's the difference between being able to retire and retire early or not. And I will be putting out a lot more content around this as well. But honestly, it's completely possible. Like, I mean, I used to run numbers for my, um, my you know, 25-year-old clients but if saying that, like who just, you know, started working their professional job, I would run run numbers through the investment calculators for them, showing them that, you know, if they put away like one of one of their paychecks out of two, 
right? If they're living at home, for example, for the next 15 years, they then, you know, at a modest interest rate, they would have like half a million almost, right? Bang, right? And that, that's just like one example. It's just being very strategic with your money. But I think that it's completely possible to reti- retire way before 65 or 70, but you just have to be very disciplined. You have to believe it, believe in yourself. Seek out like-minded people. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And, and just consistently take actions towards that. And and don't let people discourage you either. Yeah. I think even in James Clear's book, Atomic Habits, he talks about just getting 1% better every day. And it doesn't have to be, oh, today I need to get 10% better. It's like, no, how can we build sustainably in a way that's going to serve you in the future, right? Oh my gosh, absolutely. Like I have one client, when I first met her, she, she, you know, she was in consumer proposals. She, she had very little faith in herself and about money, but she did know she wanted to improve her situation. And it took a lot to, but she was ready and willing. So that's what made her a delight to work with, right? Because she was ready to shift her mindset. And so we developed a plan for her to be able to save her a down payment in a house in two years. So she finished her consumer proposal and I, I, I thought with her so much about how much she thought she could theoretically mm-hmm. save if she made these couple of adjustments to her lifestyle. And as a result, she's about halfway towards her down payment, has zero debt. And all of the things, I'm not going to call them sacrifices because there are things that she had to give up, right, in order to, in order to go, work towards this bigger goal, this bigger, more meaningful goal. And to see the complete shift in her, because a year ago or two years ago, she 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 couldn't believe it. But, you know, time flies very quickly. So a year later, after, you know, regularly investing every two weeks, every time she gets paid, one day she like she realizes she's halfway towards her financial goals. And just like that, like the shift I saw in her, ugh, that makes me so happy. It makes my job 100 percent worth it. But all of that is to say is that those little efforts over time, they do add up, I promise mm. you. It might not seem like much where you're putting, you know, $100 aside or 200 It does add up, especially if you compound those efforts, if you will. Amazing. Before I ask the final question as we wrap up, you recently started a blog and you have a post mm-hmm. here called The Great Reset. And it essentially talks a little bit about how this moment in history is feels like a reset of sorts. If you wanted yep. to talk a little bit about, you know, your city of Toronto and how you really encourage people to change their perspective of this time. Oh, for sure. Like if you read, I tried to be like, not as like, I tried to be like softer about my thoughts, but you know, I'm just going to lay them all out right now for you. <laughs> and that is, <laughs> I'm just going to be real with you for a moment. In Toronto, there's, there's this, but before, before COVID happened, there was a, huge theme of excess and I saw the same theme right before the great recession happened right and so like all over Instagram all over Toronto I mean it was really all about keeping up with the Joneses all about consumption and that really impacted a lot of people negatively who felt like they weren't keeping up or weren't doing as well as their neighbors right or the people in their age group meanwhile a lot of people were running up debt or spending all their money etc and and you know this great reset it had it it helped i guess particularly i guess in because i live in toronto it helped all of us see what's important in life and you know maybe getting bottle service at the club it's not the most important thing in the world anymore maybe spending time with your loved ones is or you know staying at home 
and getting your finances in order, bettering yourself through taking an e-course, you know, things like that. And and quite frankly, not going out and spending money like left, right on, on, and center on things that aren't serving you. It was a real eye-opener for people. And also a lot of Instagram influencers that we see, we watch them because they're going to all these exotic places. They're eating at all these exotic restaurants. You know, what I realized when lockdown happened is that when you take <laughs> those things away, like these, like, you know, these people aren't necessarily as interesting or, or as inspirational as I, as, as personally as I thought. It really opened my eyes to the fact that a lot, for a lot of us, we were really consumer driven and it was really unfulfilling. And on top of that too, I'd venture to say it was unfulfilling for, for these influencers who, who really use consumption to drive likes and, and popularity. And now all of that has been taken away completely. I see influencers who went from talking about their $10,000 handbag to now talking about the importance of equality, right? I think that's, um, I think that's, that, 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 that makes me so happy. It's, and so now that we're kind of all, you know, we're stuck at home. I've seen people's business fortunes dry up, like millions of dollars in business dry up overnight. So we're kind of all on this equal playing space playing field now right and I think the people who are going to come out of this the winners are the people that took this time to get the skills they need to go further in their career to pivot or start a business Mm -hmm. or to jump on a lot of the trends now that are emerging from COVID like e-learning online courses etc so I think the people that Mm-hmm. that have really used this time to to elevate themselves they're 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 setting themselves up to be just as successful as they were before covid but definitely i would even venture to say a lot more so it's kind of given all of us all of all of us who felt like we weren't keeping up because we weren't as successful as we could be when we're like looking at our peers looking at social media feeling bad we all are on like you know on more or less a level playing field now or more of a level playing field than we'll ever be to be quite frank and <laughs> And so now is that time then to to just go for it and get the skills, the resources, the tools we need to just propel ourselves way forward and to lap everyone. That's what I think. The last and final question on the power of why is what is your why? You know, when shit hits the fan and you're tired, you know, maybe uninspired and on the brink of giving up on your mission, what is the reason that you keep going? My goodness, that's awesome. The reason why I keep going is because I want to see women like me win. And I want to show women that look like me and women in general and people of color that they can win. I want to like inspire, uplift and empower everybody to become financially independent so that they have full control over their lives. That is my why. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Melissa. Oh, you're welcome. And thank you so much to everyone who tuned in to listen to this incredible conversation. For folks who want to connect with you, what is the best place for them to do that? The best place to connect with me is on Instagram at Mel Talks Money, or you can just send me an email. It's uh, Alan, A-L-L-E-N dot Melissa at gmail.com. Awesome. Well, thank you, everyone. And we'll catch you in the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. You can find the show notes at naomihiley.com. And if you haven't already, subscribe to The Power of Why on Spotify or iTunes, wherever you listen to podcasts. And I look forward to you listening to next week's episode. Thank you.